You're listening to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. The Catholic Psyche Podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not intended to take the place of medical or mental health treatment, therapy, or diagnosis. You should always consult a trained mental health or medical professional for such treatment. Hi, welcome to the Catholic Psyche Podcast. This is Cherie. Deacon Basil. And Chris. Hey, hey, everyone. Hey. Hello, good evening. Unfortunately, Sarah is not here. We miss yeah, her. Yeah, she said something about having to finish up papers for finals, which yes. totally lame, Sarah. I'm going to choose to forgive her for this yeah. expression. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. well, it's completely acceptable and understandable that she's choosing relieving stress of, a, <laughs> of schoolwork to, to not be here. Yeah, I suppose so. And, you know, that whole, like, becoming a therapist thing, like, I suppose we should probably encourage her in that, right? So our listeners should know that becoming a therapist does require a, de- a graduate degree. I well, think we talked yeah, about that. We in talked about that a while back. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and yes, it does. But in most cases, it requires a graduate degree. And there are some certain, certain situations, like a CAC, which is not a graduate degree. Yeah, most a graduate sure. degree and years afterwards. And tri- yeah, all the good stuff. It's not yeah. just a bunch of people pretending. Although, you know, there might be people pretending to be therapists. <laughs> you don't have degrees. So. So, Do your research. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, do your research, catholictherapist.com or um, other kinds of resources out there. So what are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about the subject, the really heavy subject, I think, of forgiveness. Mm. Oh, threw, I threw that word out there. Yeah, I've I, heard that. I've heard yeah, of that word. I, heard I feel that, like yeah. I throw that word out there and then I get blank stares most of the time. Like people don't know what to do with it or what it really means. I think that's really true. I think... I think I, I preached on this. I think you were there actually once where it's like, uh, we use these terms, whether it be forgiveness or mercy or love. And we use all of these different terms as Christians all the time. And I had this realization uh, probably about two years ago where it's like, I use all of these cliches all the time, mm-hmm. but do I actually know what they really mean at an yes. existential, actual level? Yeah. Or do I just use these kind of general cliched statements? Yeah. Of, or not uh, even on an existential level, on a practical level. Like, yeah. did, like what do I do with that? Like, right. Decide, I forgive you. And one of the things that I think I've seen in, in counseling and, and pastoral work, I think in general, is that forgiveness is, is actually very misunderstood. Um, and it can be used by uh, people to really some pretty monstrous stuff. I suppose it's probably pretty yeah, yeah, it's a shame. Um, it's it's just like the most you know one of the most beautiful yeah. aspects of our faith, and it's really sad to see it weaponized and used inappropriately and incorrectly. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. I was thinking about this. I'm going to totally steal Father Chrysostom Frank's homily from a few weeks ago on this, but I'm curious: why did Jesus come to Earth? Like, right from the get-go. I know, this is a hard question. Because he's God so loved the world? Because God so loved the world, absolutely. But that's not what he said. That's what he says in that's what John and says. That's what John says, but that's not what son. Jesus actually says. Why, yeah. did, why does Jesus, why does he come? Of course, so that you could have life more fully. That's true, yeah. That's absolutely there. But what's interesting is, in the gospel, he says, to come to fulfill the law. Mm. Which I think deep down, the law is fulfilled in forgiveness. Hmm. And I think that's really a pretty profound statement because very often we'll say Christ came to die for our sins. This is what I remember at my my youth camps, what I would say all the time. Christ came to die for our sins. It's like, yes, that's true. But also he came to do more than that. He came to fulfill all of the law, which is first and foremost forgiveness, not just between God and man. That's important. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. But it's also between all of us as well. It's forgiveness here as well. 
So I'm curious, like, I mean, I don't know. I totally, totally. Well, do you remember, was, was that the same homily where you talked about God, you know, the paralytic? Yeah. Yeah, my wife was there, and she remembered Father Chrysostom talking about how in that story, the, the first thing Christ says to the paralytic is your sins are forgiven. The paralytic never asks for his sins to be forgiven. Right. So this, yeah. is, this is in the Gospel awesome. of Matthew. Yeah, yeah, this is in the Gospel of Matthew. So Christ comes back from um, healing the demoniacs on the far side of yeah. the Sea of Galilee. He comes into Capernaum, and people bring this paralytic to Christ, and he says, "You're." So, they lower sorry. him, right? They, yeah. Well, no, they're not, they're not in this. I mean, oh, okay. not, in that, not, in that, not in that specific one. Uh, but maybe. Uh, maybe. Uh, but what it was was. Christ says, uh, son, your sins are forgiven. And then the, the Pharisees kind of fight back yeah. against that, right? And then mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a response of what is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or the rise, rise take up walk. your walk, your, your mat and walk. And and of course he rises, picks up his mat and walks. Yeah. And I think that's really quite profound. Nobody asked for forgiveness. Yeah, I think that's a very good point is he didn't even ask. Like it was just freely given without any pleading or like, I'm sorry or. Yeah. Or, or anything to do about it. You know, I mean, and, and, and trust me, I'm. Wait, he oh, didn't earn it. He didn't earn it. Yeah. yeah. And wow. sometimes, sometimes we have this kind of attitude that it's like, I have to do everything absolutely perfect for God then to forgive me. Yeah. Pelagianism. Uh, sneak it's in totally Pelagianism. Absolutely. And I think there's that attitude of like, if I don't say the words 100% perfect with the act of contrition at, um, at confession, then I'm not forgiven. Yeah. Or I even know people who think the sin's so big that even after confession, even after the act of contrition, they still feel and think that God can't forgive them. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's mm-hmm. just, uh, that's so sad. It's yeah. so sad because it's so wrong. In fact, I remember being uh, surprised to learn that um, perfect contrition is not required for the efficacy of the sacrament. So the church has historically taught that perfect contrition without the sacrament at the moment of death can result in forgiveness of sins. But the sort of sacrament makes up what is lacking in the in the in the participant, the faithful participant, so that, you know, even if the contrition is not absolutely perfect, you know, God kind of takes up the rest and does it for you, which is, it takes a lot of weight off of my shoulders. Because it's like, you might be a little distracted, or I don't know if anyone's had the experience, like you're in one of the confessionals where it's like the, the on both sides, and you're like, I don't know if the other guy can like hear me right yeah. now. <laughs> Whatever, you know, you might not be in the mindset of perfect contrition. Either way, the sacrament is efficacious. And I think, I think the other thing about it is that you know, as I would say to my to my kids in those youth camps all those years ago, that God binds himself to the sacraments, but he's not bound by the sacraments, right? So it's not like God can only forgive me if I come to a priest and ask for forgiveness in the sac- sacramental forgiveness, but he always forgives in those situations mm. um, as well. I think that's really pretty important because yeah. then it's not, it's uh, the sacrament of confession is not a magic spell that no. the priest casts <laughs> on you in some way mm-hmm. and you get back to, I don't know, a hundred health points or whatever and you're ready to go. That's not at all <laughs> what game it is. Confession. Yeah. Right, exactly. And that's not at all what it is. It's, it's much more about a relationship. I think when I heard the words, he always forgives, what came to mind is that he wants to forgive first and foremost. So, of course, if he wants it, he's always going to do it. And hmm. he desires it even probably more than we desire forgiveness. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And, and I mean, I don't know about your guys' experience, but sometimes there are times when I go to confess sins 
And I wish I hadn't have done the sin, but I'm not like fully, completely sorry. I think sometimes God is wants to forgive me more than I want to forgive myself sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's yeah a good that's a good oh, my gosh. I, I, I'll, in a moment of uh, honest self-disclosure, I'll tell you and all our listeners that, that this is hard for me. You know, yeah. this is really like this idea that the forgiveness is it comes first. You know, I, 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 look. Us Catholics born in the Roman right here are, you know, are, we get all kinds of cultural baggage. And oh my gosh, I, if I had a penny for every scrupulous Catholic I met, I'd be a rich, <laughs> a rich man and I'd have a full caseload. <laughs> I was about to say it all. That is, uh, yeah. so for some of them. Yeah, sure. And, you know, I, I think about this idea of forgiveness coming first. I think about our Lord on the cross saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And yet I still occasionally see these debates either online or in person about whether or not Christians should forgive those who do not ask for forgiveness. That's a really, I mean, that's a really interesting question. Now, I, I want to take this into now a kind of social um, kind of process. Yeah, right? person to person. Well, yeah, but okay, do I need to forgive my employer who has wronged me if he has not asked for forgiveness in any way? Like, am I morally obligated to do that? And I think, you know, of course, mm-hmm. in a sense, yes, in a sense, I, no. I, what do you think, I, I would say morally uh, is debatable. I would say for your own mental health, you might want to. <laughs> right. Okay, interesting. I, I would say that we, well, Chris, do you have another way? I don't want to. Yeah, I would say um, sort of by the natural law, it's debatable whether or not you have to. I mean, even framing it that way, I don't want to get like too thick into the weeds here, but like that kind of duty language, I don't know, it's like a different moral framework than maybe I would accept. I don't know if morals are best described as duties, but uh, yeah, it's debatable on the natural level, but on the supernatural level of grace, it's 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 part of uh, what it means to live a Christian life, and it's yes. part of what will bring you a beatific life of Christian happiness. So on that level, yes, theosis life. So yeah, on that level, yeah. So yeah, pagan well, doesn't yeah. have to. A Christian does. Is the short answer. Now that I'm sorry, <laughs> but that, yeah, I but that, it, I would, I'm like, yeah. oh yes, let's get into that. But, but like, I think <laughs> I think that's an interesting thing because then okay, let's talk about past cultural history. You know, as Slavs, you know, sorry, Sharif, as Slavs here. We have a great history of trauma in, in our cultural people. Yeah, no I think all people have a history of trauma. Yes. Um, you go far enough back, and trust me, the Slavs um, had the world's greatest, em- like, sure, largest I'm empire. Sure, sure. Cultural heritage includes trauma, too. Right, exactly. But my Thank whole you. point about Any this, Irish in you? <laughs> uh, Scottish, Polish. Scottish, okay, Polish. And you've got trauma, too. Yeah. yeah. But my, my whole point about that is, from the Slavic kind of perspective, is do I still have to harbor anger? Um, against uh, certain people. So, for example, as Poles, there's still sometimes, I hear it culturally, like we need to be angry with the Russians for some some way to not forgive them. And there's specific actions that happened to my family in the past, and I know yours as well, under the Soviets that was still in people's lifetimes. Well, so you're, you're touching on another point, which is uh, related to I hate to bring it back to the Gospels, but related to the Gospels, which is like, can you forgive um, a transgression that wasn't against you? And again, in a sense, you can insofar as it affects you. But I don't think you can forgive someone for harming someone else. that's not you. You don't have that authority. Right. Well, I almost feel like that it's just harder in general. Like 
say like something happened to your children. It didn't happen directly to you, uh-huh. but it happened to your children. I, and and Basil, you can probably speak more to this. But when I when I hear my mamas, like they have a harder time forgiving something that happened to their children oh, than they do to themselves. Like oh, yeah. to themselves, yeah, I have no problem forgiving that person. But if they do something to my kids, like I can't yeah. forgive that. Okay. I think you don't understand that until you really, I mean, you got to be careful with this. You can understand it to a certain Mm -hmm. extent, a certain extent at a natural level. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't think I existentially really understood that. I don't know that I've experienced the kind of level of, of, of things where I need to forgive other people for the sake of my children yet. I don't know that I'm at a point and I hope I never am where I have to be in that situation, but I can, I can understand to a certain extent where that is. Yeah, sure. You got me thinking. That's a good one. Because <laughs> there is a sense in which we kind of all have a share in this. I almost wonder if like, again, you know, this is all about my pay grade, but like technically, you know, I think the catechism says it's really only God who forgives mm-hmm. truly when we kind of forgive by extension. So it's like even those trans because like, yeah. again, you know, when, because this is a part of the thing of like, you know, you know, open up like apologetics 101. It's like, how do we know Jesus is God? Well, like he forgives sins. Like how, how can a human forgive sin? So, you know, I wonder if kind of we're using that word equivocally, like to forgive someone in a way that releases them from the wages of sin is something only God can do, but to, you know, to do forgiveness in this social interpersonal sense is something that we can do, even if it's against our children. Yeah. So that's that's really kind of an interesting question then because well, union with with God's forgiveness. I guess that's kind of what you're kind of alluding mm-hmm. to there. Is that I think that it kind of draws from God's forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in Western theology there's this concept, um, a, a doctrine, it's called well, not a doctrine, I'm sorry, I have to be very careful about that now. <laughs> it's a, a teaching um, called Exitus Reditus, um, okay. where all things mm-hmm. exit from God and they're uh, and then our response to that is to return that to God. Yeah. So, for example, praise—you know—all all thanksgiving mm-hmm. comes first because you know flows from God, and our response to that then is praise and thanksgiving mm-hmm. back. Okay. And I think that that is particularly helpful in this sense because God first forgives, even if we don't want Him to, and I think sometimes we don't. But God first forgives, and then our obligation is to return that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. To the person, uh, to God through the specific person yeah. that we are forgiving. Yeah. Well, for me, I'm kind of thinking of the thought of like if God's already forgiven them, right? Like if that's already happened, right. like what is stopping me then from doing that? And and part of it's my own humanity, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But like the idea that it, it's already happened, whether I like it or not. Yeah. Right, like God wants that person in their king, in His kingdom, in heaven, and we're all meant to to be one in the body in heaven. My own attachment or my own holding on to it, my own dislike of it, is actually going to keep me from that. And in essence, even thinking about okay, what might somebody else be holding on? that I did. And that still might keep me from heaven because if somebody else can't like even accept something of me. So I kind of want to hear more about that. Actually, Sri, I was kind of hoping we could dive a little bit into the psychological or like psychosocial emotional effects of forgiveness, not just the, the doctrinal kind of definition of forgiveness. So I don't know if you have any 
thoughts on that or any like uh, examples maybe from your own life or clinical work of how forgiveness impacts people psychosocially? Oh gosh, so many (laughs) ways. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. Um, Well, how does it affect them psychosocially? To be honest, I think that people have the hardest time forgiving themselves more than anybody. Hmm. Why why is that? (laughs) Why is that about? Because, you know, we... And I kind of really want to touch on this. Like there's the idea of that forgiveness might be weakness, Hmm. even to a sense to others, apparently to others, or even I have to be hard on myself. Like I can't forgive myself or I'll do it again. And, and Christ's approach is completely opposite, right? Like he, he tells people, I forgive you, go and sin no more. That's almost like forgiveness is a freedom is the way out to not do it again. But for us, how we interact with ourselves is like, no, I can't forgive myself. Like I have to hold my, like I have to hold it against me Hmm. so I don't do it again. Which is like paradoxically makes it harder, right? Like if you know anyone who's like about addiction, it's like the shame and guilt. What does it make you want to do? Yeah. The addictive behavior more. Yeah. And and so I especially see in the Christian Catholic world of holding on to that guilt and not even forgiving ourselves for not getting yeah, out of getting that, like hitting the snooze button in the morning. Like it like people can't even forgive themselves for that. Like yeah. you have to be perfect. Yeah. Well, what should you do? Read the Greek. No, um, <laughs> no but I, I would say that. Well, I, I, I want to just really quick mention this before um, I forget because I'm liable to do that. I think the other side to it is what do we do with? Uh, yes, I can. I can talk and pour the wine. This is what I do all. Oh uh, no, this cat's out of the bag. Our listeners know that we have fun on Friday nights. On Friday nights, <laughs> we're allowed to have fun. Party life. Yeah, yes. that's what we do. That's um, yeah, but you know, I think I think where it particularly comes out is you know in sections of uh, trauma. Um, mm. where people struggle to forgive themselves even though they might be the victims. So, for example, yeah. in a situation of, of sexual abuse, I mm. let that happen might be one, one mm-hmm. example of that. And I think that's where another aspect of, of forgiveness kind of needs to come in, self-forgiveness as we've yeah. kind of been talking around. And I, I think that's that's really quite important. Now, there is this concept, and we've talked about this quite a lot um, on here because podcast, because I think it's it really is one of the major struggles that the Catholic Church in general, both East and West, mm-hmm. really struggles with, which is the concept of scrupulosity, um, which is this idea of I am so terrified of sinning that I can't ever actually forgive myself or trust in God's forgiveness. Yeah, you're going to fixate on the sin and not on the mercy. Right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem with that is paradoxically, that actually is a sin of scrupulosity because it's a lack of trust in God's mercy. And that can really get you know problematic. And so I don't, um, yeah. although now I just have to our thousands of listeners. But, um, you know, but I think the, the particular thing about it is that there's there's a certain it's certain importance to say that trusting in God's mercy actually does have a spiritual importance first and foremost Mm -hmm. and forgiving myself as an experience of confession sacramental confession is just um perhaps is is extremely important in my own spiritual healing as god forget as experiencing god's forgiveness as well i like that connection you both made to forgiveness and and healing Mm -hmm. like yeah. It's part of the healing process. You know, you kind of see this. I remember the the steps uh, of, you know, the 
Project Rachel, which is like a mm-hmm. for post-abortive women yeah. who experience any kind of um, mental health issues or, or shame, guilt, or trauma from the abortion, mm-hmm. go through this. And part of that is like, oh yeah, I need to forgive myself, right? Yeah, like it's it's a cathartic healing process. It's not yeah. just an impersonal. You use magic earlier to describe kind of the perverse view of the sacrament of confession. I think that's that's spot on. I think we can't ever let forgiveness be magic. It has to be a healing process. It's funny you bring up Project Rachel because I didn't mention it. But when I first mentioned that uh, people have a hard time for just forgiving themselves for things, even if like they went to confession, I was specifically wow. thinking of those women. Yeah, that's right. Because I, yeah, because I, I just help with some of the retreats. And so... Nice. Like we spend so much time on the subject of forgiveness because even if they've been to confession, I like regardless, well, not even just for feel it, but even if God forgives me, I can't forgive myself. And I don't even, I don't even believe that God can forgive that. Like that's just an unforgivable sin that, you know, I, I'm just going to have to feel awful about for the rest of my life. Yeah. Wow. Well, just really quick for our listeners, there's only yeah. one unforgivable sin. It's described in the Gospels as the sin against the Holy Spirit. And a wise uh, Christian teacher once said to me, um, once described it as um, something that if you if you're worried you committed it, you probably didn't commit it. <laughs> I think there's some wisdom to that. So yeah, there, there's other sins are all forgivable, so, including grave sins. Grave yeah. sins are forgivable. Well, I mean, look at the greatest of sin, deicide, where Christ was killed. The prefix yeah. death. Yeah, high up there. Your yep. God and um, he, people are still forgiven in, in the moment. Yeah, and I think kind of relating it back to the Gospel of Matthew, isn't it interesting then that in, the, in this story of the paralytic, the forgiveness came before the healing. Uh-huh. And I think that's a, on pur- like that's a purposeful yeah. kind of process. I wonder. I mean, what I have seen is that very often there can't be an actual progress clinically or or even pastorally without sort of an understanding that at least forgiveness is going to have to come at some point, even if it even if they're not there. Sometimes it is kind of a cheap trick. I don't know if you guys use this <laughs> in counseling, but uh, in, in clinical work, but it's like okay, you don't want to forgive this person yet, but do you want to want to forgive this person? And you can go down on infinite regress until they just say yes, and you can move on. But you know, the idea is, is that it's not like there. It, I think it's there. You may not, wa- you might not want to forgive this person, but there can still be a desire to want to forgive this yeah, person. Yeah, and, and I tend to see that a lot. To go back, I really want to mention, I, I really believe that our resistance to forgive others and even ourselves is a it's a longing and a tendency to hold on to control mm. that that sense of trusting God, that sense of forgiving and putting your trust into something bigger, like, like you don't have as much to grasp onto. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. If- no, I think that's very true. I think that's because uh, this is what I've been thinking about as well. You know, when Christ talks about being a childlike, I mean, first off, that is so radically misunderstood sometimes in the Christian <laughs> world. Um, but the idea of being childlike, I think, principally has to be around trust. Do I trust God mm. for forgiveness? Do I trust God as a forgiving agent within my life? As a child, trust as a child would trust the forgiveness 
Other. Um, you know, I, I, I've experienced this myself when I am, I don't know, I, I try my best. On Monday, we released a, a one on emotional coaching, which is a parenting style. You know, I try my best to be a good emotional coaching parent. But, you know, sometimes I have this tendency to even sometimes get a little noisy with my kids when I'm <laughs> a little upset, right? You might have to forgive yourself. Well, I do. I certainly do. Um, but I think what's interesting about it is that my kids forgive me immediately almost. You know, it might take yeah. a little bit of time. But I... They forgive me a lot faster for being a terrible parent sometimes than my wife forgives me for being a terrible <laughs> husband. Um, and I think there's there's a reason for that. And I think that's I think that's what the child likeness mm-hmm. is within the gospel is it's in relation to a trust and forgiveness. Yeah. Incidentally, um, it's precisely that attribute of children that makes crimes against children all the more horrific. Oh, I think yeah. that's and, absolutely and what I to my mind, thinking about this right now, accounts for the in part, it accounts for like the long lasting effects of child abuse, because yes. you're born into a world with a template of trust. And so the normative experience or the healthy experience is one mm-hmm. where people like reinforce that template. Like mm-hmm. I expect trust and that trust is what I get in return. But if you expect trust and what you get is abuse, then I mean that like your entire world is now upside down. Right. That's when you get into attachment disorder. Right. Attachment yeah. Disorder, yeah. Well, I was, I was, <laughs> I was absolutely thinking about that um, from that EFT episode from, from many months back now, you know, Sri, you're talking about like, can I trust God? Mm. Yeah. And that idea of the emotional attachment to God being at something that can I trust my spouse? Can mm-hmm. I trust my father? Can I trust my mother? Can I trust my boss even? You know, Can I trust these people around me um, as being that real principle? Because if I can't, then I turn in on myself. I think this is what happens with the lack of forgiveness is that we turn in on ourselves psychologically for protection. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, then, then if you can't trust anybody else, then you're solely responsible for your whole, you know, every single motion, feeling, interaction thing that you do. And if that's the case, like, you almost have to be hard on yourself, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's so much responsibility. So and pressure. And then the second you screw up, you've really screwed up. Right. And I think that's why what it accounts for for trauma responses too. Yeah. Um, and mm. P, in extreme cases, PTSD, PTSD but just yeah. you know, traumatic yeah. responses in general, is that idea of the world isn't safe, therefore I have to respond in certain ways mm-hmm. to make my world safe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of want to go into back to the childlike experience. Please. And because, like you mentioned, like kids forgive so easily. Sometimes too quickly. Sometimes too quickly. Yeah. And, but what's really interesting and I, and I talk a lot with my parents about it is, you know, they're still holding on to something, you know, whether or not they responded to their child and not the correct way. And like 10, 15 minutes later, you're apologizing to the child and they're like, what? So not not, not only do they forgive you easily, but they forget about it so quickly. And so this is kind of going into an idea of does God not only forgive, but does it, does he forget? And not only does he forget, does it not even exist anymore? Mm. And so this is, yeah, this, Uh, this is, yeah, this is coming from a complete idea of that I got from uh, a book I've been reading called Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Heaven But Never Thought About Asking from Frank Sheed. Oh, Peter Crave. Peter Crave. Sorry. I was thinking. Yeah. Sheed Ward probably publishes it. Yeah. And it comes from the chapter of eternity that mm. he talks about. And I mean, he's describing like 
how we can make sense of eternity and, and what happens and um, the sense of time. But I'm going to just kind of read an excerpt from what he says is when God forgives sin, he not only forgives, but he forgets. And what God forgets ceases to be because God's knowledge determines its objects rather than being determined by it. What God forgives is let go into nothingness. It is no more. God does not merely cover our sins in Christ, but annihilates them. And our past sins are no more in eternity. Like it just doesn't exist in heaven. We were talking about this off mic. And I like that a little bit better than a related formulation I've heard. Because you added at the end of uh, Peter, Dr. Craig adds at the end, in heaven. In heaven, right? Mm yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, sins, sins don't exist anymore yeah. in heaven. Well, I, think that's I right. but I think, right? well, yes, in heaven. But he would also argue that our heaven technically, because it exists in eternity, mm-hmm. and if eternity and time and space is like constant, then we are already experiencing it, but on a slighter, uh, more linear degree. And so he kind of goes into um, the whole of time. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, well, I, there's all this like debate, and I'm not necessarily. Completely agreeing with You're it. Not totally committed. To committed, that view, yeah. but I'm just kind of throwing that out there where that's coming. Let's from. get into yeah. this. This is going to be fun for our listeners. What? Okay, but Basil, you can <laughs> be the nice moderator, or whatever you were about to do. Well, I think I think where it comes from is there is certainly a theology, particularly in the East. Um, I'm not. I'm just not as familiar with eschaton theology in the, in the West. That's fair. Um, but Eastern theology on this point is that, that heaven is achievable in a still small way here on Earth. No, we'd agree with that in the West. That, what that, we? Maronites would agree with that too. <laughs> uh, so I think that there is a there is an experience of that in the East. Or excuse me, there is an experience of heaven in our theology that mm-hmm. says, you know, that this is what the, the Hesychasts, and you can read, listen back to past episodes on the Hesychasts, but this is what the Hesychasts said, that our experience of heaven is is here on earth, and it can be achieved here now um, in different ways, and yet still, like, a, as, as Paul would say, like a, uh, as St. Paul would say, like, like through, through a mirror, through glass, glass um, yeah. basically, shimmy, shimmy, darkly, and I think that's really um, pretty important. So, then I think there can be a question of using Dr. Kreef's kind of notion here, does then God hold sin in existence after in heaven? In some capacity. And I think we would say that God does not necessarily hold on to the past effects or to excuse me, hold on to the sin in some kind of vindictive way. But I do wonder, I, I, I think in some ways there is this theology in the West or at least I think that it's more of a philosophic tradition that says that things disappear if God didn't hold them in existence. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, I mean, Chris, from your thinking on this in a particular way, is that what he's kind of getting at, that if God does not hold it into existence, then it does not exist at all? Yeah, okay, so I, again, this is all above my pay grade, but I got to, you know, w- war is too important to be left to the generals, so uh, I'll put on a pretend, like, MDiv cap, and here we go. Okay, first things first, yeah, the thing Basil's talking about is this understanding of kind of contingency that... Um, God is responsible for every contingent you and I are contingent. We could exist or mm-hmm. we couldn't. Every contingent thing's moment to moment existence. Uh, but sin isn't a thing. That's point number two. 
the you yes, know in the western the view sin is a privation thing. it's a lack yeah. of everything we talked about this in an episode on sin mm-hmm. uh, and so it actually doesn't make sense god doesn't ever hold sin in existence at any moment on this side of uh, paradise or the other side so then you know theologians make the distinction between the sin per se and the uh, effects of sin talk about how the sin is forgiven but the effects persist so i guess i would say that you know yeah i can see how in this lifetime the effects are going to persist as a consequence of the world we live in. You know, perhaps there are war criminals who have made a true contrition or contrite repentance and are forgiven, and yet their victims' families still mourn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just the facts. And the jail guard who's guarding their cell, if they've been brought to justice, still has to do his or her yeah. job. Absolutely. And kind of the idea that, you know, we still feel the effects of sin, right? And so that, that might keep either the effects of sin in existence or the thought of the original sin in existence. Mm-hmm. But if, And if God doesn't hold it, though, into existence... But what if our own thoughts and our own holding on to it still keeps it in existence? So here, I want to propose now, I want to, I want to go into this idea of forgiveness versus forgetting. Yeah. Because this is, you, 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 you brought it up and I think our (laughs) listeners like when we, when we get our boxing gloves on, we, we, we play with ideas kind of uh, aggressively. (laughs) So, so, you know, um, Peter Kraft, you know, he goes a little bit in this direction by equating forgiveness with forgetfulness, but off mic, I was talking about this apocryphal story about St. Faustina that I've heard, Mm -hmm. like more than one Catholic speaker retell. You know, and you and and when I mentioned it, Basil and Street were like, "Oh yeah, I've heard that too." I don't remember where I heard I it. I remember Father Mel Thompson and Amelie. Oh, you great. just outed a priest for saying this. Uh, Ouch! No, I, 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 I just heard Father <laughs> tell this. Great. Um, so the story is that like Faustina's, you know, superior was skeptical of the veracity of her mystical visions. So in order to confirm them, he asks Faustina, "Well, if you're really talking to God, ask him what the last sin I committed was." Mm-hmm. And he did this knowing that he had just received the sacrament of, uh, of penance, of reconciliation. And so Faustina dutifully asks God, what's the last sin that you know, Father so-and-so committed? And God replies, I don't remember. Yep. And it's this, you know, it's like usually delivered with kind of like a zinger moment. Like, and then the crowd is like, oh, oh he doesn't God. remember the last time I looked at porn or That's whatever. so beautiful. Like, yeah. Yeah, but most sin isn't private. And so here's my, I have many difficulties with this. The first being it's an apocryphal story that I've never actually gotten, I've heard attributed in any concrete way to any saint. The second thing is that how is it possible for God to forget the Holocaust? You know what I mean? He doesn't. He can't forget. Even if the war criminal asks for forgiveness, God sees the family's grief. He sees the war criminal in prison, whatever it is, you know, like the effects linger. And so that, you know, this kind of this kind of equating forgiveness mm-hmm. with forgetfulness tends to really only work rhetorically for sins that we consider, quote, private, which, of course, we know sure. no sin is completely private, but it tends to work for like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, God can't remember the last time I like went on a basement binge drinking session to myself. Well, great. I'm glad God can't remember. Now, I'm not convinced that it's good for us to forget our sins either because we don't want to repeat them. Well, so those are my thoughts. Okay. Put that up. So first, first I guess, spot. like, of course, like, I think in our timeline, God does not forget the Holocaust because I think it's still very much present right. in our today. But does the Holocaust exist in heaven? Sure. That's no. Yeah. Okay. Like, like, or at least I hope not. Like, I, at least we're still not like mourning over that in heaven. Right. And, and so 
if that's the case, and, and even if even if now we ask God, like, do you do you remember that? But God doesn't exist on our plane. So he could have already forgotten it. it it's just yeah. in a way. Yeah, so, I, mean, I, think, I think with that, though, I mean, using that, that example that you said earlier, Krista, sin is a privation. Mm-hmm. Um, well, all privations will be will be fulfilled. Like, like all, all yeah, they won't be. There won't be private. Yeah, privations the way we know. So I think I think in the same sense that there will be no evil, right? Saint Augustine said, "Evil is no thing." So God doesn't actually know sin at all per se. Right. We don't either. Right. Yeah, but He knows that it it's going on. Why? Do you see my point? Do you yeah. see Do you see my point that like like if like God forbid Basil kills someone and then has a perfect confession. Mm-hmm. And you know, then kind of goes to a retreat. And here's this beautiful anecdote about how God doesn't remember that He killed someone. It's hard to square with the fact that the family of the grieved is constantly t- reminding God that someone's just been killed, <laughs> right? Or, <laughs> or, or that the person's actually yeah. dead and in the ground. You know, it's like God remember. And so, I mean, from a psychological perspective, let's bring it back to our you know our work. Is that even healthy? Is it even helpful for clients to do for, forget instead of forgive? Right. And there's a, I think people's resistance to forget is, is partly like, well, I don't want, I don't want the other person to think I forgot about it. Yeah. I, I think that's typically the most common phrase I hear. And exactly. In that it's like, well, I can't forgive that or act like I forgive that because they might they might think I forgot about it and think it's okay. Yeah. So and, let's talk about yeah. that. Is forgiveness free? Is it the same as saying, um, oh, that's okay. It's all okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that's the key point, you know, to, to forgiveness. And even even God, like even Christ when he was here, like like his, his prompting was like, go and don't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> like, to forgive, like, you have to first recognize the magnitude of it. I remember a friend of mine taught at briefly at a Christian preschool where they coached all the staff and teachers to not like if a kid says I'm sorry don't say that's okay that's our tendency right yeah. in, our, in America we say that's oh that's okay don't worry about it that's okay yeah. but instead to say I forgive you which is harder to say but ultimately more meaningful yeah or thank you for that apology that means a lot and I, yeah, that means like, a lot. yeah I like that too because it's not okay right if someone, yeah, absolutely. someone else it's not okay you don't want to condone it you want to forgive and, it and it and it's funny i even just saw like a post about like business etiquette uh-huh. this is totally somewhat off topic but it was about like what kind of responses to give and like emails and phone calls hmm. and especially like if somebody cancels on you last minute right our tendency i am so guilty of it is be like it's okay it's all right don't, don't worry, worry about it. it it's all right no big deal and it's actually a big deal it's like I gotta like, get paid. Like, yeah, I gotta get paid, and that was not a uh, that was not respecting my time. But I say that, and so like the whole script was like what to say instead, or mm. like. Do you remember what it was? Oh, gosh, I think I actually used it. Right. <laughs> it was like I I really appreciate like really appreciate your apology, and let's find another time or something like that. Like it was just an acknowledgement. Instead of just saying it's okay, I think that I think that's really key um, to to understand it because because we so quickly jump to trite 
things. I mean, I, I don't know what you guys do, but like, for example, I always respond when a client says when they walk in and they ask the kind of trivial question of like, how are you doing? It's like you're asking your therapist how you're doing. <laughs> yeah. like, I, always, I always give an honest response. I don't go into detail and be like, oh, it's actually a really difficult day for me. But I'll say something like, I'm really tired right now. It's been, you know, it's been a long day and, uh, yeah. you know, or something like that. I really try and do that because I think we have to model that kind of honest behavior. We're bad about that in the U.S. too. Oh, That's another one. How are you doing? Oh, good. I'm doing good. You could be like going through it like a horrible life, chaotic turmoil situation. You're like, oh yeah, I'm good, man. How are you? No problem. But what's funny is even I'll ask clients that when they come in, <laughs> like, what's going on today? How are you? Oh, it's it's Okay. And or then, it's good. And then I'm just I'm like, all right. And then my follow up question always to that is either what's fine, what's good, what's okay. And then they're like, uh, well, actually, it's not. <laughs> I almost feel like I need a new question because they always say good. My response to that is just my response in those situations is just say, well, great. I'll see you next. Uh, I'll see you next week. <laughs> um, just like right as their bum hits the uh, hits the couch. Well, sometimes <laughs> it's good to hear about if their week was actually good. Right. Yeah. Then the I guess you don't hours need me. Well spent. No, I, mean, right. I, I even kind of coach my couples right at the beginning that there's different stages of therapy. But a lot of couples stop like mid like stage two oh, there's like yeah. three because they're starting to make progress and then they're like we're okay and and then they don't come back but the real work is actually when they're doing well mm. and in stage three to like of that, cement that to cement I, I that and then yeah. to prevent coming back in that's great and that's why most couples counseling doesn't fails, work yeah because people come in for one quick fix because it's painful and then it's like yeah. you know Inexpensive, and, and, and I acknowledge that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You get it six weeks in, and it's only thirty percent effective. And, yeah. You know, as opposed to yeah. as opposed to the fifteen weeks when it you know gets much more effective. Well, and you know we we you know I feel like slowly glacially our field is moving in this direction of more like preventative work and resiliency building. I mean, you know, the question of positive psychology is like not how do you you know Freud thought kind of the best you can do is you can take miserable like completely broken people and make them like everyday ordinary miserable. Um, but positive psychology is like okay, how do you promote flourishing? And you know, in our uh, Basil and I did a book review episode where he talked about a positive psychology book and I yeah. talked about a resiliency book. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question, right? It's like, to what degree is therapy useful for helping you build the, vir- the positive virtues, not just correct your life's <laughs> struggles? <laughs> yeah. But kind of going back to the idea of forgiveness is not forgetting. Yeah. It's not okay? forgetting. Yeah, sure. And the fact that we're not asking you to forget about it. No. And or put up with it. <laughs> or say it wasn't a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Like there still needs to be boundaries to maybe even help that person not do it again. Yeah, Possibly. sometimes you don't ever get the chance. Here's a here's a tough one. I want to hear yeah. you guys' thoughts on your your thoughts on this. You don't always have a chance to actually tell the person you're forgiving that you've forgiven them. Oh, yeah. You know, if it was someone that hurt you when you were younger and yeah. they're dead now or you've lost touch with them or it just wouldn't be prudent you know like in the 12 steps when you do the moral inventory mm-hmm. and then you make amends it explicitly says don't do it if it would just cause more harm right so mm-hmm. how does forgiveness work when you can't have the expressed forgiveness to the offender right and then, and then that goes into maybe imagining or thinking about it or or even like your beliefs about the afterlife or anything like that but mm-hmm. 
I think that in, I don't know if you've heard this, that forgiveness is not necessarily for the other person, but exactly. it's for you. Yeah. I was hoping we'd get there. Yeah. yeah. Can you say that again and just articulate that for the <laughs> listeners? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That forgiveness is not for the other person, but it's for you. And I think that's really true. You know, just practically, one of the ways in which I've done that in the session is um, I, my supervisor in, uh, in practicum was a gestalt therapist. Um, so we nice. would do like, nice. like gestalt is a specific form of therapy. Mm-hmm. And we would do it's an old chair. Cool. <laughs> really old school. It's really cool. For I, I've done MD chair a lot lately. I, I, yeah, me too. And so fun. And what it is, it's <laughs> like, it sounds, it, out there. it sounds really hokey. I'm like, I know this is going to be weird and awkward. Go right. with me. <laughs> but, but you get it. You get going at it. And basically the idea is, is that you, with the, you know, a therapist helps the, the other the client sit down and basically imaginatively allow the person mm-hmm. to be sitting in the other chair. And so, uh, so you have them like sit in the chair, and, um, kind of discuss with the person, let's say the person who died, let's say your dad yeah. who was an alcoholic died and you have to you know, kind For of confront him, yeah. them. And then what's really, really interesting. The kind of real key to it is you get the person to stand up and go sit in the other chair yeah. and then oh, yeah. respond back from the father. Uh, as like the father who was an alcoholic and like what's really interesting about that is not that some magic thing happens but that the person can see what was really going on from their actual perspective as opposed to just what they thought in the moment and it's beautiful yeah absolutely like that's a just a technique to do right like if you're caught in that like okay like i need to forgive this person but they're no longer here like we if we can get into that space it could really feel like it like we could really enter into that in kind of an existential way and and i just want to say really right here at the end is like I, I've never had anyone call me and say, I need to work on forgiveness. Yeah. I've heard people talk around it and they'll talk about things <laughs> like boundaries and they'll talk about stuff. But forgiveness is absolutely something that we work with clinically. Um, it's a clinical issue. It's a clinical issue. Can I forgive? And I think really to our listeners, if if it's something that you really feel like you, you that forgiveness is not something that you can forgive, mm-hmm. you can't really forgive someone and it's causing that sort of mm-hmm. dysfunction in your life at this point, that is something that you see a, a, a Catholic therapist for really could be beneficial. Yeah. And, and I've heard lately, I, I read a book that's fairly popular in, in the secular world. It's called The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins. And she goes through a whole step process of how to... Uh, Pick something up off the floor and eat it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I've actually had to like like um, relieve anxiety. And her first like step to that, or one of the first steps is that, is like, you need to forgive yourself for all the things you haven't done. Yeah. For the like sins of omission, right? Yeah. For all the things you haven't done or failed to do, that's the first step of, of relieving anxiety, of getting, of actually making progress with whatever you feel stuck with. And it's amazing how like, so when it comes to therapy, when it comes to our own, on psychological health, that even the act of forgiveness, if we feel stuck, maybe the first step is just, you know what? Yeah, I haven't accomplished that yet. Yeah. Because I think, I think some people worry that if you are able to forgive yourself, then you'll have kind of a loosey-goosey attitude towards sin. You're going to be like, oh, what the heck? I can sin. I'll just forgive myself. Yeah. But actually, you, you might have more like um, emotional and cognitive resources to form better habits if you don't get trapped in a guilt and shame cycle. Well, and paradoxically, like we should have the vision of Christ on this issue. Mm-hmm. And Christ was much more um, 
he wasn't loosey goosey on sin. No, no. But he was always prepared to forgive sin. Drove, I always uh, think, yeah, always comes out of the temple. Exactly. Always compare Christ's response to the Pharisees. Paradoxically, those who were overly concerned with making sure that there was never any kind of um, sin, yeah. and then those who actually asked for forgiveness, or even didn't even do that, but yet were still given that forgiveness, but had faith. So, it's a good note to end on. I think we should end it there. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We will see you guys next time on Absolutely. the Catholic, Catholic Psyche Podcast. Yep. Yeah.